All right, so you may remember uh, last week we started uh, looking at the story of Pentecost in Acts 2. The entire story, uh, the build-up, the sermon from Peter, all of that is really just supposed to be one text for one week uh, in the lectionary, but as has happened a few times lately, uh, one week is just not enough to talk about what all is going on there. And so I want to spend a couple more weeks uh, in, this, um, in this text and last week we began the story of Pentecost and Acts. We talked about, uh, we, we looked at the kind of fantastic scene of the original group of folks gathered in a house, uh, praising God for Pentecost, and then the Holy Spirit descending upon them uh, like a violent wind and the tongues of fire and the speaking in languages they'd never spoken before and being driven out of the house and out into the community to kind of proclaim God. Uh, the church had this posture Uh, We learned last week that the very initial thing that happens to form this church is to move it outward and facing other people. Those who are having a perfectly nice time in their own seats in a meeting together in the house are all driven out to the community to proclaim something that everyone can hear and understand in their own home language, right? This is the posture of the church of Christ, the ecclesia, as we say uh, most weeks, right? The called out ones. We are called out into this world. We're not insular. We're not here for our own sake, uh, but we are called out into the world to be the body of Christ incarnate, right? And perhaps after we read this kind of miraculous scene where all these things are happening and, and tongues of fire and people speaking language they never did before, uh, all of which amazes people and, uh, and they either are uh, amazed by it or they try to explain it away by calling them drunk, Um, which, again, is still funny to me, uh, as if getting drunk somehow makes you fluent in another language you've never heard before. Um, But maybe even the most miraculous thing that happens is what happens next in the story, which is then Peter, Peter the one who denied Christ three times, Peter the one who's really been mostly talk uh, in regards to things, who wouldn't even fess up to knowing Jesus to the servant girl around the fire, that Peter stands up and preaches the first sermon of this early church, preaches to this crowd that is gathered to witness this miracle. And I want to read what he says, and I want to admit uh, that it was very hard to choose what to focus on because it's a mouthful. Uh, Peter covers a lot of things here, and we're going to spend a couple weeks talking about some different aspects to it. Uh, But I think what I want to do is kind of start broad and get more narrow next week, kind of start with the universal and focus more on the particular next week. And we're just going to look at verses uh, 14 through 21 uh, to start with. And it, and it says this. Uh, this is right after the tongues of fire and the people accusing them of being drunk. And Peter says in verse 14, But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, These are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. And I'd like to stop there for just a second because I love that argument. (laughs) Like, they are not drunk. It's only nine. We don't get drunk till much later in the day. Like, we don't get drunk. I just like that. That that kind of settles the case. It's nine in the morning. They can't be drunk, let alone they're speaking strange languages and other things. But uh, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Verse 16. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy." 
And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And uh, there's a quote here, of course, from the Old Testament from the prophet Joel. Uh, I'm not going to really get into whether or not this is supposed to be telling the future or is this something that's already happened. Uh, if you read enough people, you'll find enough opinions on what this is. Uh, are the, the portents and these things, are that referring to what happened when Jesus was crucified? And they talk about, you know, the, the tombs opening up and all these kind of things happening. And is that what they're talking about or is it some future thing? Don't know. Don't think it's the point, really. I want to focus tonight on this idea of pouring out the Spirit upon all flesh. I'm not sure it's possible to overstate how important I believe it is to the beginning of the Christian church that Peter takes this first sermon, these first things he's going to say, and, and we'll know later on that thousands of people will then join uh, this new weird religious sect based on what he's saying. He begins the first sermon to this first group of people by letting them know the universal scope of what is happening here. He's talking just to Jews, and we'll talk more about that next week at this point. And he basically says, fellow Jews, people like me, understand that we are now in a time when God is going to pour out God's Spirit on all people. All people. Sons and daughters will prophesy. They will speak for God. It's an outlandish thing to say in that time of culture. Young and old will interpret dreams and visions. Male and female slaves shall prophesy, will speak for God. The Spirit will be available to all of them, right? They will all be a part of discerning God's signs in this dark world. All flesh. I don't think you can overstate the gravity of this idea. And it's something we've always struggled with. The church has always struggled with the concept of all. Because as it turns out, the church is mostly made up of people. And human beings have an innate desire and ability to rank and file, to say us and them. Right? We have a deep-seated need to separate ourselves out from the crowd in whatever way we can. We all have it in us. I could pay for a $100 flight someplace and for some magic act of God get upgraded to first class. And as soon as I sit in that first class seat, I become a different human being. I only paid $100 for this ticket, but watch how offended I get when one of the unwashed masses from the back of the plane walks through our curtain and uses our sacred first class bathroom. The bathroom where the toilet paper is like clouds and it never smells. How dare they do that? Or give someone, and this is um, myself included, give someone some kind of authoritative title or put a plastic badge on them or whatever it might be. Give them authority in some situation and watch how quickly we as human beings get drunk with the little bit of power you give us. We all run into those people all the time. We are are those people sometimes. I remember being on a flight one time, mostly empty plane. There's like six of us on this entire plane. And I got chewed out by the flight attendant because the travel pillow I brought wasn't secured properly and was laying on the seat next to me. 
And she came up and she said, excuse me, sir, we cannot leave until you secure all of your belongings. And I looked next, to, I was looking for like my bag or my computer and I said, I, it's all underneath my seat. And she pointed to the pillow and I laughed because I thought she was making a joke and that's a funny joke. And then she was very serious. She was down for the fight. Sir, we cannot leave. You will have to leave the plane if you do not secure all of your belongings in case there's an emergency. Because we wouldn't want a pillow flying around and getting between me and the hard wall. That would be, that would be terrible, right, in an accident situation. But she was, I'm telling you, she would have booted me from that flight if I had not secured that pillow. She was serious. And she didn't like me the entire flight because of my insolence. And she had the authority, and I listened to her, and I did it. I was a good soldier. But we all have that thing in us. Give us a little bit of authority. Give, a, give us a little bit of exceptionalism, and we run with it. We all have this innate desire to exalt ourselves and distinguish ourselves from each other. And in this time and in this place for Peter... For him to look forward to a time in which male and female, young and old, free and slave are all privy to the very same spirit is a revolutionary claim to make. It changes everything for them just as it would change everything for us if we really believed it today. You could argue that this is one of the most distinctive and offensive parts of this new strange religious movement. They had meetings and they had meals where everyone who should not be sharing the same space met together as one. Poor and rich ate the same food. Slave and free washed each other's feet. Male and female supported and led each other. It wasn't the point, but in essence, it was an undoing of the entire social order to claim that one spirit is poured out on all. And between that and then all the weird brother-sister love talk and eating of the body and the blood that they talked about, it was no wonder so many of the early church were martyred. They just didn't fit in. Now, that's not to paint some rosy picture of the early church. It wasn't utopian or easy to believe this and to try and act it out. It is something they, like we, struggled with constantly, right? As you keep reading in Acts and you see the Spirit begin to run wild in the Gentile world uh, as well as in the Jewish world, it is hard for them to imagine how this could possibly work. In chapter 15, they end up having a council meeting where they try to figure out what the rules are that the Spirit has to go by. Peter himself, who is preaching this sermon, will need a special vision from God before he can come to the full realization, about nine chapters from here, that he doesn't get to call anyone else unclean. And then later we'll know that Peter and Paul end up having this uh, conflict and Paul calls Peter out because Peter stops eating with Gentiles when, uh, the, when the good Jews come along and he doesn't want to look bad in front of them. Peter, who's preaching the sermon, struggles with this concept. So we've got to own the idea that this universal invitation of potential members to the body of Christ will not come easy to us either if it didn't come easy to them. Again, the entire book of Acts is telling the story of the church's struggle with this truth. The whole book of Romans can be read uh, within, the, within the context of a community struggling to hold together two different kinds of people that are trying to learn how to share a room. That's why you should never read Romans 1 without Romans 2. 
if you're reading through it, by the way. Now, we'll still, we still have a very hard time believing all this stuff, don't we? I mean, yes, we all sang the song in VBS. I understand God loves everybody. Sure, God loves everybody, whatever that means. But we still know there's an us and a them, right? I mean, we know you can't really be us and them at the same time. You can't really be a Christian and vote for that party. You can't really be gay and love God. Come on, that, those two things can't exist at the same time. You can't fill in the blank and still be at the same table I am at. Otherwise, something's not right about the table, right? How am I supposed to feel good about any table that I'm invited to if those people are here too? The Christian church begins with the premise that those you can't imagine being on your team are every bit as invited and empowered as you are. And that's a tough pill to swallow. If they are flesh, and most people are, then God's Spirit has been poured out upon them. God's Spirit is available to them. God's image is the one in which they were created as well. If they are flesh and blood, we know also from Scripture that they cannot be our enemy because we do not struggle against flesh and blood. All people. Pentecost shows us nothing if it doesn't demonstrate the universal nature of what God is doing. There is no more us and them, period. And if you're listening to a preacher or if you're sitting in at a church, if you ever hear in this room us and them talk, raise your hand because we've missed it. That means we don't get to decide that those people don't get to sit at our table. They may not be invited to your table, but they are invited to Christ's table, and that is where we are called to gather. It means we don't get to retreat into the comfort of believing we are in first class. We've got it worked out. We are the chosen ones. But it also means something else, and maybe this is more what you need to hear tonight. It also means that you are called and equipped and empowered. You. Because we all struggle with sometimes wanting to leave other people out, but I also think a lot of us struggle less with the idea that others are carriers of God's image and spirit than we have picturing that we are. Maybe you are one of those people that has a hard time picturing a world in which you are bathed in God's spirit, in which you are called by God, in which you are part of the family. After all, you know you, and it ain't always pretty. You've made a lot of mistakes. Maybe you're not all that important by the scales of this world. Maybe you don't have the kind of job or the kind of reputation that people notice. Maybe you haven't studied enough or you don't sing well enough or you don't like to speak in front of a crowd or any of the things we've decided to put value on or whatever that voice inside of you accuses you of being telling you you are not worthy. The Spirit is poured out on all flesh. That means you. It is no less of a lie to say you don't belong at the table than to claim someone else does not belong there. God's Spirit is poured out on all flesh. We all have the ability and opportunity to discern God's love and grace in an otherwise dark world. 
Your life may not be what you planned on it being. Your life may not seem important enough or successful enough by whatever standard you have been handed or maybe you gave yourself. You maybe can't imagine someone as unimportant or with all the baggage you have being a part of something this important. But you are the beloved of the Creator. You are invited to the same table, filled with the same spirit, and called to serve in the same way as everyone else. There are no barriers. There are no no ifs, ands, or buts. Your gender, your economics, your past failures have nothing to do with it at all. You are called. You are equipped. And you are empowered to discern and embody Christ's love in this world. It's a big table. And everyone is invited. Even them even you. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your grace. We are grateful for your love that is without condition. We are grateful uh, that there's nothing we can do to get uninvited from your table. God, our prayer tonight is that we might be a community that embodies that kind of grace. That whoever walks in these doors on a Sunday night, that whoever we come across on a day-to-day basis in our life, at our work, at the store, in our comings and in our goings, that we might exhibit your spirit. A spirit that honors your image in every person we come across. The spirit that understands that every person we come across is your beloved child that you have invited to be a part of your kingdom. That they are carriers of your image. And God, may we also give ourselves that grace. May we not believe the lies we have heard or that we tell ourselves. God, thank you that the table is big and the table is open. And there is room for all of us. God, we do love you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.